recording and I will introduce to you Roman Pitchler and he's going to be presenting a topic today on dealing with difficult stakeholders and tips for product owners and um, so we'll hand it over to you and welcome if everyone could stay on mute if you have questions you can put them in the chat box and we'll take questions toward the end and then with that Roman I'll hand it over to you. Lovely. Thank you, Sherry, for the uh, kind introduction and live to be with you. Um, yeah, pleasure to talk about dealing with difficult stakeholders. Um, so whenever I um, meet somebody who I uh, experience as difficult, uh, there tends to be an element of a disagreement or friction or conflict. Now, uh, disagreements and conflicts, disputes are normal, natural, um, you know, they happen at work, they happen at home. So what's the big deal here in an agile context and in particularly for product people, for product owners? Well, I think as product people, we experience a fair amount of disagreement and there's a reason for it. And in my mind, the reason lies in the nature of our role. We have a highly networked role, a role that inter interacts and interfaces with a number of different groups um, who, of people who have different perspectives, uh, ideas, and needs. So they're the users and customers, and depending on the markets that a product addresses, a market that the product serves, um, you know, that might be a, a rather large and heterogeneous uh, group of people, um, the user needs and perspectives don't necessarily have to match the customer uh, needs and perspectives. Um, and uh, then we have the business stakeholders, um, you know, for a commercial product, that'd be somebody from marketing and sales and support, and maybe service or legal. And those individuals come from different business units. And as they come from different parts of the business, they tend to have different ideas and opinions and views and interests, and in some cases, different goals. And then, of course, in an Agile context, we have the cross-functional development team or teams. And so we have individuals who, again, have different skill sets and backgrounds. And, you know, with those different backgrounds often come different perspectives and ideas. And as a product owner, you know, we're right in the middle. You know, product people, product owners are, are right in the middle here. You know, reaching out to users and customers, hopefully, uh, to the business stakeholders and, and obviously guiding the development teams. By the way, I should say, uh, for the record, uh, when, I, when I talk about product owners, I mean the Scrum product owner. Um, so somebody who's in charge of the entire product and somebody who interacts with customers and users as, as well as uh, development teams and internal stakeholders and somebody who owns uh, the product holistically. So is in charge of vision, product strategy and, and the tactics, the product details. So a little bit different from a safe product owner, just, just so that there's no confusion that so this is a, a big product owner, as, as the Scrum product owner has also been referred to in the past. So yes, uh, product owners interact with those different groups. Those different groups have different perspectives and ideas, uh, in some cases, different needs. And so uh, it's only natural that there's friction. It's only natural that there's disagreement and, and conflict. Now, of course, the issue with conflict is that often, certainly my experience, um, it isn't dealt with constructively. Um, conflicts are either ignored or suppressed, or there's a winner and a loser, and you know, they're bruised feelings and, and damaged relationships. Um, but ideally, I think what we'd like to be able to do is uh, leverage conflict as a source of innovation and creativity, and as something that allows, allows us to learn more about uh, the other individuals and uh, learn more about ourselves and ultimately strengthens the connections uh, that we have. So this is, in a way, uh, what, this, uh, what this talk is about, um, inquiring or exploring uh, techniques that help us deal with conflict constructively. And to, to, make, uh, to make this a little bit more uh, concrete, uh, I've uh, selected a scenario uh, from my uh, latest book, um, and I'll, I'll read it out to you. So the uh, assumption is that the person being addressed as you is the product owner, the person in charge of the product. Um, so listen, I really need you to add this feature to the release and I'm not going to take no for an answer, says Sophie. And she's the head of sales and she stands in front of your desk. So I give you as the, the product owner. 
Uh, you can feel your shoulders tensing and your stomach tightening. Now, there is no way that you can add more work to the development efforts. The development team is already struggling with the current workload. But Sophie is a powerful senior manager who will not be afraid to escalate the issue. What should you do? Now, your gut reaction to this scenario, uh, you know, may vary, but it turns out that in general, the four strategies that we tend to employ when we're faced with conflict. So those are very common strategies, but unfortunately, uh, they're not particularly helpful. And so I'd like to discuss them with you. Uh, by the way, uh, they're taken from a book called Say What You Mean uh, by a gentleman called J. Oren Sofer. So he's distinguished these four strategies. And the first one he refers to as competitive confrontation. So in the example uh, that I just uh, read out in the scenario, that would mean standing up to Sophie and um, engaging in open conflict and saying to Sophie, look, there's no way that we can take this on. And as you know, you know, we've agreed on a release goal and you know, the team's fully loaded and who are you coming to my desk and, you know, shouting at me or speaking loudly and demanding that we add this feature. I'm not going to have this. No way. We, I'm going to do this. And, you know, so, uh, you know, this very much then comes from a, from a, from a, from an attitude of uh, I'm right. Uh, and Sophie's wrong. And I might be tempted to blame Sophie and say, like, well, it's her fault because she started it, right? I mean, she, she came to my desk and you know, she spoke to me rudely and she's demanding this, she demanded this feature and how outrageous. And it also comes from a place where I feel I need to protect my interests um, and um, I need to engage with a certain element of force or, or aggression, as it says here on the slide. Um, in order to make sure that my needs are met and ultimately I try and win you know now if this is the right strategy to deal with uh, a senior stakeholder you know uh, you know I, I let I, I leave that decision up to you but it's it's one of the options that we have you know so open conflict seek an open conflict and say say no now the next option would be uh, still um based on the idea that we try and get the better of Sophie ultimately and try and put her in a place but it's more uh, employing uh, guerrilla tactics. Um, so uh, passive aggression, engaging indirectly with Sophie. So, you know, we may say, oh, you know, Sophie, we hear, we hear you. Now, what you're asking for is gonna be very difficult. It's gonna be very challenging, as you know. I'm not sure we can really accomplish this. I'll need to look at this. I can possibly put it on the product backlog, but I can't make any promises right now. We'll do our best, of course, but, you know, this is going to be very, very, very difficult. And, you know, I'm not really pleased with this. And, well, I don't know. So you're generally trying to be difficult to work with, um, giving Sophie a hard time, letting her feel that you really disagree with, with uh, her behavior and what she's, uh, what she's asked for, what she's, what she's requested for, that feature. Um, and then maybe talking badly um, about Sophie behind her back, going to the development team and saying, guess what? You know, <laughs> Sophie just came to the desk and demanded this feature. And, you know, I said, I'm going to put it on the product backlog, but don't worry, I'll deprioritize it right at the bottom. You know, we're not going to get to it. <laughs> um, or maybe uh, talk badly uh, about Sophie, make snide remarks to other product people, other product owners, like say, oh, have you heard what Sophie, Sophie's sort of, you know, requested, has, has she done something similar to you? Oh, what a horrible person she is. Um, so in that way, again, sort of try and, and win in an indirect way. And again, based on the assumption, you know, if I don't protect my interests here, if I don't, uh, you know, look after myself, then I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose out. And it's really Sophie's fault. She's the one uh, who's, who's to blame. Now, the other two strategies are less about winning. They're more about minimizing your losses. And the third one is called conflict avoidance. Now, you may be a little bit surprised when I share the example with you, because I feel it's something that as, as product owners, as product people, we tend to gravitate towards. You know, and so for me, conflict avoidance in the scenario uh, that I, I shared with you would be to say, well, what's the big deal, right? We're, we're grown-ups, and let's be reasonable. Uh, Sophie, you know, she's, there's a reason that she's become a senior 
uh, stakeholder. You know, she knows her stuff, and usually she's a reasonable enough person. Uh, you know, there's a certainly a very good uh, reason why she demands this feature or needs this feature. I'm sure, we can find that out. Now, it's going to be very difficult to give her everything she she wants and needs, but maybe maybe we can split the difference. Maybe we can strike a deal here. Maybe we can agree on a compromise. Maybe I can offer her part of that feature now, maybe half of it, and then we'll do the rest in a later later release. Um, and that way, you know, it's not such a big deal for us. Yeah, it'll be maybe maybe tough. I'll have to talk to the development team, but I can explain it to them. And you know, Sophie won't get everything, but at least she'll get something. And you know, let's let's be amicable here. Let's 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 be adults. Let's be grown-ups. You know, I think superficially that sounds like a you know decent and and perfectly reasonable approach. But I think what it ignores is the actual conflict. It stays at the surface. Yes, Sophie's requested a feature. Uh, yes, we need to sort that out. But I think there's something else going on. So if I'm the product owner and a senior stakeholder comes to my desk's desk and demands a feature, you know, I'd feel that there's an element of disrespect, an element of disrespect with regards to me and my role and the level of empowerment and authority that I should have. I mean, I'm meant to be the product owner and not a personal assistant of a senior stakeholder. My job is not to please stakeholders. My job is to do the best, best possible product, sorry, <laughs> do the best possible job for the product and maximize the chances that the product creates value, value for the users and for the business. And again, not to please individual stakeholders. It doesn't mean that I don't care, but you know, I'm, I'm not there just sort of, you know, to say to Sophie, yes, Sophie, yes, Sophie, of course, Sophie, that's not my job. And secondly, I feel that Sophie is not really uh, paying respect to the product management processes that sh surely should have been um, established at any business. So I would expect that there are regular strategy or product roadmap uh, review sessions, workshops, where we take a look at the overall product strategy and the product roadmap and we talk about uh, release and product goals and uh, any, any ideas and requests and assess them together and then make changes to the plans uh, if and as uh, it's appropriate. Um, and so again, I would expect that Sophie shows up at those meetings or actually that one of the sales reps on her team participates in those meetings on her behalf and on behalf of the sales team. So by just ignoring the conflict here um, or trying to avoid it and not really addressing it, um, staying at the surface, I think we're letting Sophie get away with unhelpful and in my mind, inappropriate behavior. And the danger is that that sets a precedence that Sophie will act in similar ways in the future and other stakeholders, other senior stakeholders might do the same. You know, what prevents them from doing so? So in my mind, conflict avoidance and striking a deal and splitting the difference isn't a great strategy either. Uh, nor is the last one here, which is referred to as passivity. And that means you just basically give up. You say, well, what can I do? What can, it's Sophie, and you know, Sophie. I mean, I I've, I know that you know she's she, she's not going to take no for an answer, and she's going to escalate this, and it'll come back down to me, and you know, there's nothing I can do about this. The best thing is to say yes, you know, just bite the bullet, take it on the chin. Yeah, it'll be tough. You know, I'll, I don't know what I can do. Maybe I can persuade the development team to work a few hours extra. Maybe come in at the weekend and you know persuade them by offering vanilla ice cream and pizza and alcohol-free beer. I'm not sure in which order, but yeah, it's going to be tough. But yeah, I'll just say I'll have to say yes. There's no other choice. But of course, that means giving up your needs. Uh, it means uh, possibly putting the development team in a very difficult position. Um, and uh, again, letting Sophie get away with uh, unhelpful behavior. So for me, that's not, that's not a good option either. So if none of those four options is really um, helpful, what can we do then? Well, uh, it turns out that uh, the FBI uh, in the United States was in a, in a similar uh, situation. Well, admittedly more extreme. So <laughs> imagine that uh, armed terrorists have, have kidnapped a group of uh, US citizens and they're now threatening to kill the hostages if their demands aren't fulfilled. And they're asking for a ransom. They're asking for a lot of money. And so that was uh, the situation the FBI uh, found themselves in. And now if you grew up in the 1980s with Hollywood, Hollywood movies like me, 
then you might be tempted to say, well, it's easy. Send in a Rambo-like, um, powerful agent who can single-handedly capture the baddies and free the hostages, problem solved. It turns out the FBI has uh, tracked this approach with a low success, but a high death rate. So over the years, they've developed something else, uh, and that's referred to as the behavioral change stairway model, uh, which is uh, described in Chris Foss' book, Never Split the Difference. So uh, no matter if we deal with Sophie, so a difficult stakeholder or an armed terrorist, uh, what we'd like to achieve is a positive behavior change in the individual. So in the case of Sophie, going back to the scenario I shared, I shared earlier, we'd like to recognize, we'd like Sophie to recognize that um, by coming to the desk of the product owner and demanding a feature, that that is not helpful, um, that there are more uh, skillful ways to uh, share her uh, ideas, her perspective, and, uh, and the process is in place, right? Now, the trouble, of course, is uh, Sophie is a senior, powerful stakeholder. Um, and as the person in charge of the product, we don't hold any formal power over her. We don't have what's referred to as transactional power. We can't tell people what to do. Uh, we can't make people do things. So we can't make, make her change. Uh, and, uh, you know, it gets even worse because usually we don't have a budget. We can't offer an incentive or pay rise to to her either. So how do, we, how do we encourage her to change her behavior? Well, if we don't have the power to do it, the only way then really is to, to influence her. But again, you know, as we don't hold any, any power, uh, you know, how, how can we make sure that she, she listens to us and that she takes into account our ideas and our perspective and our needs? Well, the key to that is really to build rapport, to build a trustful relationship, a trustful connection with her. Now you might ask, okay, so how do we build a trustful connection with Sophie? Well, by, by empathizing with her. So that means by trying to understand her perspective, um, her emotions, her feelings, and her underlying needs and interests, and really taking a warm-hearted interest in Sophie. Of course, that's uh, much easier said than done. You know, you know, if we're in a situation of conflict, then there's disagreement, but there are also difficult emotions. So there may be uh, anger, uh, there may be worries, there may be aversion, there may be frustration, there may be irritation, there may be anxiety, maybe lots of different things going on for, for us as the person who experiences the conflict. But the idea with empathy is to, to recognize that all this is going on and, and, and apply some, an element of self-compassion, but at the same time refrain from doing something that I uh, sometimes wrongly do, and that is telling the other person, in this case Sophie, why her behavior is wrong and what exactly she should now do and how exactly she should change. Uh, no matter how often I tried, it uh, never, never succeeds. So the, the idea is really before we tell somebody and before we approach somebody and make suggestions and hopefully helpful suggestions, listen to the person and, and again, take a, a real interest what the person has to say um, and what, uh, what kind of drives the individual's behavior. That's the behavioral change stairway model. Uh, it starts by actively listening, uh, attentively listening to somebody uh, in order to understand the individual and uh, you know, then build a, a connection and establish trust. And that allows us then to start influencing the person by our ideas being heard and then in order to encourage a positive change. So it's a, it's a sequence in these steps. Uh, you can't skip those steps. Um, you really have to go uh, through with, with the whole um, stairway or you'll have to sort of, you know, go th through the whole process in order to experience success. Now, as active listening plays such a big part in this, uh, in this model, uh, I'd like to share a few listening tips with you. But before I do that, there's one more thing I'd like to uh, emphasize, and that is um, a key idea behind this model is, is not to manipulate people. Or in my mind, it would be wrong to try and apply techniques in this model to manipulate people and get the better and make people do something. Uh, I think empathy has to be genuine. Um, you know, so it has to be genuine, a genuine element of kindness and care and, and warm-heartedness and not just pretend uh, uh, empathy. And I think as human beings, we're very good at... Um, understanding if somebody tr is truly interested in us and is truly listening and uh, you know truly wants to understand us or if somebody you know just kind of fakes it 
uh, it may take a while, but eventually, you know, people usually usually get it. And so, you know, I'd like to encourage you if you consider applying some of the techniques uh, that I've that I've offered and that I'll be describing uh, in the reminder of my talk, that you you do so again, you know, from a in a, in an in, 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 in you know in an honest way uh, with integrity. Integrity was the word I was looking for. So, uh, listening techniques. Uh, there are three listening techniques that I'd like to share with you. Um, the first one is to be fully present and listen attentively. Now, uh, I find that uh, often when I listen to people, I don't really uh, fully listen. I'm, I'm not really fully present. Um, I've got uh, other thoughts uh, that are going on uh, in my mind. Um, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit distracted and, and tense and restless because if I've had such a busy day, or maybe I'm listening not with the intention to understand, as Steve Covey once put it, but with the uh, intention to respond, to answer and convince. But I think that the important thing about listening attentively is not only to uh, be able to absorb all the information, but also to feel the person, make the person feel heard and feel, make the person feel understood. I think there's a real difference if somebody really listens to us um, and you know, there's, there's, there's a willingness to engage and a, a patience as well compared to somebody who's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and we know mm, that person might not really take everything in and might not really have a strong interest in what we have to say. So yeah, listening uh, attentively makes people feel valued. It makes people feel appreciated. And, uh, and, and it's a first important step in my mind to, to build empathy, to empathize and, and be able to understand the individual. And so one of the specific techniques that I describe in my book that you might find helpful is not to rush from one meeting to the other, but actually purposefully uh, schedule a little bit of downtime between meetings so you can digest what happened and you can, 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 can get ready for the next meeting. Um, you know, have a little bit of personal setup reflection and then uh, set up prep time. Yeah. So you, are, you can actually be uh, attentive. And um, going back to the scenario uh, mentioned earlier, it, it, you know, when, 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 when there's a conflict emerging and you feel, you know, things are tensing up for you and you're getting worked up and, you know, the difficult emotions present, then sometimes it's the best thing I've found to ask the other person not to have a conversation or continue the conversation right now, but take a break. Just hit the pause button and say, you know, this is getting a little bit much for me. I'm feeling a little bit worked up uh, right now. Can we please have a continue the conversation? I have a follow-up conversation in an hour's time or this afternoon or tomorrow so that you give yourself time to kind of kind of deal with what's going on inside you and uh, kind of work through the difficult emotions and, and give yourself time or give those, those emotions time to, um, to dissolve, at least to a certain extent, or weaken. The next tip is around being uh, respectfully curious, um, suspending judgment and cultivating an open mind. Um, I find it very, very easy when somebody says something to immediately start evaluating and analyzing what the person has said and form an opinion. And I think it's at least partly a conditioning. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to evaluate or analyze, but there's a, a great guideline for product people when it comes to, to working with data. And that is separate the data collection from the data analysis. So first, collect the data, gather the data, listen. Then pause and then evaluate, then think about it. The trouble is when, uh, certainly for me, when I start evaluating and judging too quickly, that that then kind of, disturbs or it kind of distorts my perception what i'm hearing the other person say so i'm no longer fully present and i'm no longer really absorbing fully what the individual um, has to share um, and 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 again you know that that tends to happen as or is, is particularly challenging when i deal with somebody who uh, i disagree with strongly or somebody who i dislike and maybe there's you know that there was a conflict in the past Past, maybe even several disagreements in the past. But I think we can still train ourselves to be curious and be open-minded um, and accepting what the person has to say and letting it in doesn't mean that we agree. It doesn't mean that we approve. Again, it just means that we're there, that we're willing to truly listen. Um, so, 
you know, a good technique here is when you uh, feel yourself wandering off uh, in thoughts or when you feel yourself evaluating and judging and thinking like, oh, oh, what she's saying or what he's saying, then, you know, just kind of try and connect with the present moment. And, um, um, you know, often a good idea I find is uh, focus on your breathing and then, you know, just, just try and let go uh, of your, your, your thoughts, your, your, your judgmental thoughts and try and tune into what the person has to say. Sometimes when you deal with a difficult person, reminding yourself of the positive qualities uh, of the individual can also be very helpful just, you know, to encourage empathy, encourage um, an attitude of warm heartedness. Um, and finally, uh, listen not only for uh, facts, but also for feelings and needs. So facts, obviously, is what the person has to say, the statements she or he makes, the feelings are the underlying emotions and often Usually body language is a great um, way to find out or assess uh, how somebody is feeling. So if Sophie comes to our desk and she's got a red face and she speaks rather loudly, then you know, chances are she's upset. Um, and, and so I think that's important to take into account because uh, emotions that somebody feels are a gateway to their needs. And there's a reason why somebody is saying something. There's a reason why somebody is acting in certain ways and um, showing certain signs of certain emotions. And, and again, those are typically the underlying needs, the drivers, the goals, the interests that the person has. So a great way to dig down and find out why Sophie is requesting that feature and why that is so important for her that she makes the, the effort to come to our desk and you know talk to us in person uh, would be to ask uh, some some open questions, you know, so ask Sophie, oh, help me understand why is this so important for you? And not only sort of generally, why is it important for you? Oh, yeah, because we think we're going to we're going to make more money from 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 selling the product if we have this feature present. But is it, why is it important for Sophie personally? You know, what's in it for her? What is her personal need, her personal interest? And again, that that helps with building empathy. And I think that helps with really addressing the root cause of uh, the problem. Or the conflict, I should say. Um, and then uh, the last, the last slide, in a way, um, that that shares uh, techniques or ideas with you um, talks about further uh, trust-building measures. Um, you know, the, the the key idea in my mind in the um, behavior behavior change stairway model is really to build trust, and I think. Generally, uh, trust is extremely precious when we interact with people. If people don't trust us, then it's very difficult to openly communicate. It's difficult to feel safe in each other's environment. Um, it's very difficult to coll collaborate. Collaboration, in my mind, is really built on trust. So here are a few more uh, trust-building techniques, particularly for product owners, in addition to the two that I've already mentioned, which is really coming from a place of curiosity and care, and, you know, um, encouraging, cultivating empathy and a, an attitude of warm-heartedness towards uh, uh, other people, and, um, and and listening, listening deeply, listening actively to uh, to others and taking a real interest in what they have to say. So uh, speaking and acting with integrity, um, some of you might say that's a, a no-brainer, but you know it's really things like um, walking your own talk and saying what you feel is is truthful uh, is is true. Uh, not uh, exaggerating and uh, not sort of, um, sort of uh, slightly skewing or distorting facts and saying it's not that bad, it's not that bad, um, not boasting. Um, and uh, yeah, really following, following through what, what you say and in a way being, being honest. I think that's, that's really what it, what it, what it says. Um, Oh yeah, there was one more thing I wanted to mention. I'm sorry, and that is um, the, the speaking part. Um, uh, in addition to kind of saying what is true, I think it's it's very helpful, particularly when we are in conflict, to uh, remind ourselves that um, you know, even though th the conversation might be might be challenging, um, harsh words and harsh speech generally, or divisive words, and you know, blaming others is 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 unlikely to be helpful. So, you know, again, I think when it comes to when we're in a situation of conflict, then choosing the right words and being very mindful of what we say and how we say it is, is very important. And again, you know, helps build, build trust. And then get to know people and allow people to get to know you. Um, I mean, 
difficult to relate to somebody, but difficult to trust somebody if I don't really know anything about her. So, you know, if I know nothing about Sophie and she comes to my desk and demands that feature, it's kind of difficult then to even kind of have a relationship with her. So I think then part of empathizing with her is at least to a certain extent, finding out a little bit about who is she and, you know, how long she's been with the company, how long she's been in her job and, you know, um, what's going on for her and what's going on in her life. So we're all, we're all influenced by uh, what is happening in our job, uh, what is happening at home. And I think, uh, you know, to, to build trustful connections, it is, uh, can be very helpful to learn a little bit more about others. So share information. And if that's something you want to do, then I, I would suggest you lead by example. Um, Patrick uh, Lencioni uh, writes in his book, The Five uh, Dysfunctions of a Team, which some of you uh, may know about uh, sharing uh, information to build trust. And particularly, he suggests uh, sharing failure stories. Um, so again, if you want to use failure stories um, where you show vulnerability uh, in order to build trust, then uh, you should maybe uh, go ahead and uh, start, uh, start the sharing. Um, next is uh, involving people in product decisions and employing collaborative um, decision-making techniques, participatory decision-making techniques. So. Um, encouraging people to share their ideas and concerns. And of course, again, listening actively to them, listening deeply to them and taking them seriously. Um, then being supportive and offering help whenever that's possible and appropriate, but at the same time, not neglecting your core responsibilities and not providing sustainable pace. So uh, something I see product people, product owners uh, quite often do is, um, um, filling some gaps, you know, particularly when you don't have a scrum master, your scrum master isn't sufficiently available or not maybe fully qualified. And then you take on some of the, the leadership of work uh, that the a scrum master and effective scrum master should offer around process and people. And uh, I think while that can work for a short period of time, doing it on a continued basis in my mind uh, isn't helpful. I think it's challenging to be a qualified product person, competent product person, and to be a competent scrum master and coach. And being a product owner itself is a it's a demanding and you know rather challenging multifaceted job. There's lots to it. So you know if you take on even more work, it becomes even harder and even less sustainable. And so either you sacrifice your health and mental well-being, uh, or you, you, you're bound to neglect some of your uh, core responsibilities. And neither is desirable. So you know if, you know if if somebody if if there's you know, if somebody needs help on a continued basis or you know, if there's a gap that you feel you need to fill on a continued basis, I think it's it's good to stop and reflect and say, you know, is what I'm doing helpful? And how can we address the issue? So maybe maybe somebody who needs that support would benefit from receiving some dedicated training or coaching. And again, you know, if you feel you, feel you need to uh, stand in for the Scrum Master, then maybe the right solution is to uh, address the issue with the decision makers in the organization and make sure you, you get a qualified scrum master or otherwise you know consider if you can do your, your, your current job uh, effectively and uh, finally uh, strengthen your product management expertise uh, so i a little while back i met a, a product owner and uh, the person said to me i wish my management uh, uh, entrusted me with uh, more strategic responsibilities and i'd really you know like to sort of take charge of the product roadmap and work with that and I sort of you know so we got talking and then I, I said to her after a little while well you've created a product roadmap before haven't you and she said to me in this case it was a lady and she said to me no and I said to her well that might be one of the reasons why your management has a hard time trusting you you know delegating or giving you the authority for the strategic um, aspects of your product and if you don't have the, the knowledge or the skill to create a roadmap then it's kind of hard to ask you to do it. Of course, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem, but I think, you know, sometimes by increasing the expertise and maybe, maybe you know, reading a blog post or, you know, watching a video on product road mapping, you know, and trying it out, we can show that we have the expertise or at least a certain level of expertise and then, you know, instill the trust in, in the stakeholders. So, you know, that they uh, are willing to follow our lead and, uh, are willing to uh, take on our advice and uh, guidance. So uh, those were all the trust building techniques that I've got prepared for now. Um, and that brings me to uh, the summary. So dealing with difficult people, in my mind, uh, is part and parcel of being a product owner. It comes with the job, uh, no matter if we like it or not, no matter if we find it easy or not. I mean, generally, <laughs> it isn't easy. 
um, it's at least as important, I think, as other product management work, like product roadmapping and prioritizing the backlog. And I think, uh, you know, sometimes product people, partly because there's, uh, again, so much, um, there's so many different tasks that product owners have to take on, there's so much work to do. Uh, sometimes make the mistake of deprioritizing the, the people work, the relationship building work. And say like, yeah, that can wait, and that conflict isn't really that bad, and we don't really have to address it now. Yeah. So I think um, for those of you who work as product owners, I would encourage you that you uh, do not uh, suppress or ignore conflicts. They don't go away. Um, they uh, do affect relationships. They can impact our mental well-being, and they certainly reduce productivity. So if we have to work with somebody, but there's conflict, then um, you know, effective collaboration is really hard to achieve. So make, make time for addressing people issues. They're part and parcel of your work as a product owner. And finally, uh, generally, I think learning to deal uh, with conflict in a constructive manner and truly resolving it and building trust are key leadership skills um, that you know, I think all of us, but certainly product owners, should uh, uh, try to actively develop. They help us strengthen connections, improve the work environment, and uh, they help us grow as individuals and as leaders. So I very much uh, look forward to your questions now, but uh, before I answer them, I'd like to say thank you uh, for listening. Uh, I hope you found some of what I said uh, helpful. If you'd like to find out more uh, about my thoughts on product leadership, then please um, uh, check out my website. I recently also published a new book uh, called How to Lead in Product Management. It talks more about dealing with difficult people and managing stakeholders and addressing conflict. So some of you might find that helpful. And if your question for whatever reason doesn't get answered uh, now, then uh, don't be shy. Please reach out to me and uh, um, preferably, via, preferably via email. And I'll make sure that I'll, uh, I'll promise I'll answer your question. So thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that, Roman. Um, and um, for those of you who may have questions, if you want to place them in the chat box, um, because we have so many people, it would take too long for people to just um, get online and, and talk. So I'll just present those to Roman as we go along. And the first question we have for you is, do you have any um, tips for building those trust relationships in a remote environment? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Uh, thank you for asking it. Um, so my experience with remote work and I, I work as part of a remote team. So I, um, within my business, my team, the team I'm on is distributed. Um, so you've got one team I'm in the US, the other team members are in the UK. And again, we're in three different locations in the UK. Um, so my experience is that uh, building trust in a distributed environment is harder than when you have the opportunity to work face-to-face uh, -to, -face to be on site. So generally, I tend to recommend to people that when you build a new team, you set up a new team, you try and at least initially and partially co-locate people. So you know, try and get everyone together for a few days, a week. If you can, bring everyone together for a sprint, maybe a couple of sprints in order to give people the opportunity to hang out, uh, give people the opportunity maybe to go to lunch together, go have a coffee together, maybe do something after work and you know, just interact with each other um, in a way, in a more natural uh, fashion. Uh, having said that, I think that you can build trust um, in a remote uh, environment, in a distributed environment as well, and through appropriate online means. So one of the things that I've found, found very helpful is to really, um, make an effort to have like a check-in time, particularly at the beginning of meetings. So the development team that I work with, the members are um, based in the south coast of the UK. So, you know, when I meet, when we meet, it's important for me to, to have a little chit chat. And that is essential, again, just to reconnect and, and reestablish a certain level of trust. And again, you know, as I said earlier, find out what's going on for the individuals. So then it's much easier to relate to what they say, at least to a certain extent, and particularly how they say it, right? Um, or virtual coffees, you know, hang out and have a coffee break together and, and just, again, you know, have a little bit of chit chat and make sure that you talk about general things. So I think those are, those are ways how you can build trust in a, in a distributed environment using, using online tools, using, uh, you know, things like we're using right now soon. Awesome. Thank you. Um, the next question that's being asked is, if you're dealing with a difficult person and they are doing what you view as illegal or immoral, unethical behavior, um, 
how does that impact the stair step strategy? I guess that would be slide number five. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, another another uh, nice question. Um, so I think what's important to recognize is that the, the only person, at least in my mind, <laughs> the only person we can uh, truly change is ourselves. So, I, you know, applying the techniques that I've shared is not going to guarantee success. You know, it's not that by trying to go through the steps, taking the steps uh, in this in this model, you know, you will achieve a positive behavior change. You know, if the person is very um, strongly attached to her or his ideas, or if the person has unethical or immoral ideas and, and shows inappropriate unethical behavior, then, you know, again, I think we can only try and influence the individual. Um, and, and for me, the key is not only to point out that the behavior is causing harm and is disagreeable to us, but also um, showing the individual um, that we do also care for, you know, the person acting in inappropriate ways. Um, you, you know, in, in my mind, when somebody acts in an inappropriate way, then there's something not quite right with that person. So their mental well-being can't be great. It can't be a truly happy person. But, you know, sometimes the right thing to do is to escalate the issue to HR and to senior management. So, you know, if you feel this is really a conflict or a problem that is severe, I don't know, take, for instance, sexual harassment. You know, I wouldn't necessarily, certainly I would not suggest that you, you just say like, well, you know, let's empathize and let's, let's, let's work through this together. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, you, you probably do want to talk to your boss and to HR and do it straight away. You know, if it's, you know, if it's a, if it's if it's something you know serious along the lines suggested, um, but again, you know, uh, even if we meet, even if we deal with people who you know are very despicable, and that's why I like the FBI example um, personally. You know, the, the behavior and the ideas of a terrorist are despicable. I mean, they act in immoral ways. There's no other way in my mind to put this. We can still empathize with them. It doesn't mean that we approve. It doesn't mean that we necessarily like them. It just means that we accept them and that when that we, you know, that we're not, there's no aversion. I mean, but there's no, we try not sort of to, to hate or villainize the person because that usually doesn't, doesn't really help with resolving a conflict. And thank you for that well thought out answer. Um, where's the next one? Um, where do you see love in the process of dealing with difficult people? Yes, nice question. So love is a, is a very uh, interesting word. And I think different people have different ideas about what love means. So for me, an, an easier term that I find more accessible is, is empathy or compassion. Um, and and so for me, in that sense, you know, uh, love is, is is the empathy step. And I think it's very difficult to um, really understand somebody and, and and be compassionate for that person and 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 kind of reach out with warm heartedness if we haven't li at least listened to that person a little bit. Um, so I think that initial in, in, that that openness and 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 the willingness to listen then you know gives us the opportunity to empathize and be compassionate. Awesome, thank you. Any, we have just a couple of minutes left. Um, I don't see any other questions up here that have not been answered. So if you have any last questions, now would be your time to put them in the chat. I don't see any coming up at this moment. So, um, Roman, we do up when we do have one question about will you be sharing the PDF of your um, presentation? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, so you know, happy happy to share. And Sherry, I guess the best thing is to connect uh, after the conference. And uh, and yeah, if you could just let me know how I how I share, and then more than happy to do so. Okay, that sounds great. I will um, we'll get that out to the, um, the attendees. And then one last question we have time for before we go on break is how do you resolve conflict between two stakeholders who don't agree? Yeah, another, uh, I think, uh, nice question. Thank you for, for sharing those questions. Um, 
so when when you experience conflict between stakeholders or conflict on your team, then um, I think for me, I, I like to reflect, am I in a good position to help the individuals? So do I feel in a way competent to help them help them move through a, a conflict resolution process? And the model that I that you, that you're seeing here, the behavioral change stepway model, is just one way to address uh, conflict or disagreement. In fact, it was originally conceived as a negotiation model. Um, but you know, whenever there's negotiation in my mind, there's also conflict. And another model would be uh, to use um, nonviolent communication, which is uh, one of the models that I discuss in my book. So you know, if you are uh, a nonviolent communication practitioner, if you've got uh, plenty of experience in uh, another conflict resolution process, then you could offer your help. But I think what will be necessary is that you're being seen as neutral uh, and uh, as somebody who doesn't take sides or doesn't um, favor anybody. Um, and then you know, you'd essentially act as a mediator. Um, so, you know, something maybe to reflect on. Uh, maybe maybe it's right for you to help and mediate. Uh, sometimes it's better to involve a neutral person, an independent person, possibly from outside the company, particularly if the, the conflict is more serious. Awesome. Thank you very much. Well, Roman, we really appreciate your talk. This was great. I learned a lot. Um, this was It was great to have you. And I'm going to throw up a quick poll for attendees. If you would like to give us some feedback on this session, um, just simply make your choices. And we have a live poll here. So thank you very much. And um, we will be going on break. And we'll return in 10 minutes with Johanna Rothman's um, presentation and so we look forward to seeing you all back in 10 minutes if you'd like to take a break and um, enjoy the rest of your day and i've also added a moreau feedback board if you want to give us sticky note feedback and make longer comments on either this presentation or on the entire conference as a whole and so i've just copied that moreau link into the chat thank you so all much right. thank you very much all right, everyone, we'll see you in 10 minutes.
Hello, Johanna. Oh, let me unmute you. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. Welcome. We have everybody. Thank you. We'll get started in about six minutes. Um, and I, I don't think we've met personally before, so happy to meet you. And I'm your host today. Um, is there anything that you need from me, breakout rooms or anything like that? No, no breakout rooms. I think that if we um, leave the chat open and people ask questions as they have them, that would be great. Okay. And so you want those questions throughout the presentation? Yeah, I, I will stop to take a, a drink of water and um, answer some questions. And that way, we're all set. Okay, great. So we have everyone yeah. on mute. There's too many people to just let people jump in with questions, um, just because that eats up a lot of time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Add in the chat box, and then I'll help you manage taking those questions as we go along. You'll have um, a total of 50 minutes. So in the beginning, I'll do a very, very quick 15 second. Um, introduction um, and get out of your way and then we will go on break at 10 minutes till the hour so you've got the whole 50 minutes to do your presentation take questions whatever however you want to run that okay that sounds good let me um, I'm going to see if I can share my screen as the keynote presentation because it's always let me <laughs> let me practice that let yeah, me just practice that. Challenges this week. So, um, yes, um, I want yeah. to have my share, and you should. Well, I I guess I need to um, share first, and then let's see if I do this, yeah. and then move to uh, play. With any luck, you guys actually see. My, just one slide.